0: Hey, before the show, we just wanted to thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, check out more content at mymarinacpublicradio.com. Thanks so much.
1: What's good? Okay, no thank you. Why, hello there. Okay, I hate that. Greetings, everyone. What's up, Mymarinac? Howdy, folks! Who wrote this stuff? Are you serious? Why, hello there. We, so that's you? your only line! What do you mean? That's your only line! <laughs> try a different <laughs> language! Hello, this is Abora. boy, <laughs> huh? Yeah, a mess. Yeah, it's so easy, why don't you guys try?
0: Okay, three, two, one, go! This is the Public America. Radio!
1: Good morning, and welcome to NPR's Before the Bell. I'm Sam Rob In this season, we're bringing you news and updates on all things the war in Ukraine. Check out our previous episodes to better understand the roots of Russian Ukraine hostilities, how we got here, and the impacts the invasion has had on the Ukrainian people. Since the beginning of the invasion on February 24th, outsiders from all across the world have expressed their outrage. From UN meetings to social media forums, both world leaders and average citizens have shown support for Ukraine. Today, with my fellow NPR student producer, Jane McNally, we are going over the voices that were the loudest at the beginning, but have since been silenced and suppressed the voices of the Russian people. Jane, I would like to begin with the initial anti-war protests in Russia that were so prevalent, but died out after only a couple of weeks. What was happening during these protests and what happened to the protesters?
0: Well, the anti-war protests began almost immediately after the Kremlin revealed their special operation to the Russian public. On the same day, the Investigative Committee of Russia gave a warning to all Russian citizens about protests related to the tense foreign political situation. The warning stated anyone participating in said protests would face legal
1: repercussions. So the Russian government made it clear that protesting the war wasn't allowed. Were there any people who protested anyway?
0: There were definitely a lot of people, but there isn't an exact number on how many people participated in the protests. OVD Info, a Russian-based human rights organization, reported that there were 1,820 arrests back on February 24th. In the following days, people began to assemble in smaller numbers, some even going out individually to avoid any mass arrests. This created a lack of clarity as to who was deemed arrestable and who was not. The protesters presumed it would be harder for the Russian police to control a lot of smaller groups rather than one large group.
1: Right. And did that work?
0: No, not really. The current number of arrests, according to OVD Info, exceeds 14,900 people.
1: So, do we know what exactly warranted a protester to be arrested?
0: It isn't completely clear what does and doesn't warrant an arrest in these protests. Russia intended to arrest anyone who protested, although there were way too many people for them to do so. There was a story that came out of Moscow, originally reported by National Public Radio, around March 2nd, that really highlighted the extreme lengths the Russian police would go to silence the Russian people from protesting. Four children, their ages ranging from 7 to 11 years old, walked to a Ukrainian embassy with signs saying no to war in hand. Once they got to the embassy, they placed blue and yellow flowers at the gate. Despite the attempt to demonstrate peacefully, all four were arrested by Russian officers on the spot.
1: There was an article published by NBC on March 9th. They interviewed Russian business owners in the U.S. about what their life has been like since the invasion started. Ike Gazarian, a Russian restaurant owner based in San Diego, says he and his family have been called, quote, Russian pigs. And he's even received two threats to bomb his restaurant. Jane, have threats like these become a pattern across the U.S. in the past couple months?
0: Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of reports similar to this. There have been a lot of Russian businesses, mostly in the United States, being targeted like that in one way or another. Most of the time, it's threats like the ones you talked about, but we've also seen some people organizing boycotts against Russian brands or businesses.
1: So what are the repercussions of these boycotts and threats on Russian businesses?
0: Well, the boycotts, from what I've seen, haven't caused any extreme problems. Most of them have been relatively unsuccessful. One of these boycotts, which got a lot of attention in the news, is when Americans went into stores and poured out bottles of vodka as a symbol of resistance to Russia. The Vodka companies saw a loss of revenue for about a month, but it wasn't anything significant.
1: So towards the beginning of the invasion, we saw a series of bans on Russian athletes and performers. A lot of them were prevented from playing and performing, and there were arguments about if these bans were deserved. My question isn't about whether the bans are fair, but how likely are the bans to stick?
0: Well, these bans are different from sport to sport. For example, the bans on Russian national teams will probably be in place for a while. No tournament organizers want to give Russia any sort of representation. For example, the IIHF, International Ice Hockey Federation, has banned both the Russian and Belarusian national teams from competing in any of its 2022 and 2023 tournaments, including the annual World Championships and Junior World Championships. Russia and Belarus have also been prohibited from hosting any of these tournaments. FIFA has also implemented a similar ban. However, there have also been bans specifically against Russian players. Wimbledon, one of the four annual Grand Slams in tennis, has banned all Russian players from participating in their tournament. This is one of the bans that has received specific backlash. Both Russian and non-Russian players have expressed their opposition to these policies. All of this controversy has made it difficult to say how likely the bans are to stay.
1: So bans against national teams will probably stick because national teams give representation to their country and to Russia. But bans on individuals have received backlash. So what does this mean for Russian performers and athletes?
0: Well, the bans against Russian performers are more individual bans. The Russian ballerinas and pianists aren't representing a national team. Some ballerinas have also tried to make a stand by leaving a ballet academy in Moscow. Ultimately, Russian performers and athletes are in the same position. They are unable to do what they love because their government chose to invade Ukraine. Fortunately, the athletes and performers haven't taken attention away from the Ukraine crisis. Most of them have publicly declared their support to Ukraine and how peace is the priority.
1: Taking into account how quickly things have been developing, it's important to stay up to date with what is going on and how things are changing. That's what we're here for, telling the stories of the war, ensuring that we're all informed enough to have constructive conversations about the conflict. If you're interested in supporting those affected by the violence in Ukraine, check out the Ukraine Crisis Fund at my.care.org and consider making a donation. Again, I'm Sam Robichaud.
0: And I'm Jane McNally.
1: And you've been listening to NPR's Before the Bell.